Yeah. And like you said, it's going to look different for everybody. So your balance of structure to creativity might look very different from what I need, which is also perfectly valid. And related to that, I think it's important or useful to question your own assumptions about yourself and what you need. Because maybe you think you're a person who's like really creative and flowy and doesn't like structure, but maybe you actually are able to be more creative when you have more structure. Hello, creative souls. You're listening to Never Wear Boring Socks, and I'm one of your hosts, Maria Ramsey. And I'm Anna Barnard, your other host. And today we're talking about how structure fits into creativity. And one of the ways that we structure our creativity here at Never Wear Boring Socks is to schedule times to think creatively about what socks we're wearing. Like right now when we're recording. So I'd love to know, Anna... What creative sock choice did you make today? So I picked out a pair of socks that we got in the mail recently for free. That's exciting. Whoa. Yeah. That's very exciting. I know. I think my mom got them from like a charity that she supports or whatever. Give back, get socks. (laughs) The moral of the story. Um, But they are like blue and red and yellow and have like little smiley faces on them and they're just kind of happy and I'm like new socks. It's exciting. I have a podcast in which to uh, show off my socks so I might as well show off these new ones. Yeah. Also that they came in the mail. That's always fun. Right. Exactly. So those are my socks today. What about you? I'm wearing... A pair of navy socks with pineapples on them. Ooh. You may remember them from past episodes if you're an avid listener and are keeping up with our sock choices, because I've definitely worn them before. And I chose these socks. First of all, I want to say I am actually wearing socks right now. I know there have been a few episodes where we haven't been wearing socks, and I really didn't need to wear socks exactly today, because it is still summer. It is still pretty warm. But... The air is definitely feeling a little crisp today. That's like it how it is here like as well. Fall is on the way, yeah, yeah. That's interesting that you're having it there in Minnesota, also. I'm anyway. I'm very excited because I love fall. It's my favorite. I think we've discussed this before. Yeah. And I, it's like just barely chilly enough in my room that it is comfortable to wear socks. So I'm sort of enjoying it. So I'm wearing them because they match my shirt. Kind of. I have navy stripes on my shirt. But also because they're like fun and happy and I'm also, I'm just in a good mood. Part of it is I was sick and now I'm not sick. And you know, after you're done being sick and you start to feel like a human again and it's just the most exciting thing ever and you feel amazing. So there's partly that and partly just happy about other things. Plus they're like a little bit muted in color, which I feel kind of goes with the fall is coming vibes. Very nice. So that's I my like sock it. choice.
So today we're talking about structure and creativity and specifically creating structure around our creativity, which is something that we've hinted at a lot in other episodes because, well, one of the reasons I think that we've kind of mentioned it several times is because we think it's important and because it's hard to actually implement So I'm wondering, Anna, if you have any thoughts on why this is worth talking about, why you think it's important, why it might be challenging to structure creativity. Definitely. I think um, one thing, a lot of my thoughts about creativity right now are being influenced by Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, Mm, because I just finished it this morning. (laughs) So I'm like thinking about that right now. But one thing she talks about... um, she kind of views creativity as this like entity that wants to partner with you, but that is also like very elusive. Um, and that the way to continually like invite it into your life is to just like always be creating. And so one thing that I think, I I think that relates to structure in the, in the way that, there's value in making time for your creative practice in a consistent way. Um, And even if like the work you're creating isn't great or you don't feel inspired, you're at least just like doing it and like being in like communion with creativity when you're doing that. Um, And just from my personal experience, um, like this summer, I haven't I haven't really spent a lot of time working on any specific projects. Um, and I've talked about in a couple episodes how I think just in last week's episode how I've I think I've like managed to find some ways to be creative without working on specific projects, um, which has been helpful. Yeah. But there's yeah. also this sense that I feel even when I want to work on a creative project, it's like hard to get started when I'm so, when I'm feeling so unstructured creatively. Um, And I think there's something to be said for the fact that when you start implementing a structure, then it's so much easier to keep up with what you're doing. Um, So from that standpoint, I think structure is helpful in just like inconsistency and like getting your butt in the chair and doing it every day and like inviting creativity into your life and making that a part of your life and not focusing so much on like this needs to be good but just like I'm gonna do it and be curious about it and do the thing that makes me happy um and I think I think that is a form of structure yeah I think it is too that's like Jane Yolen's button chair which she talks about when I've heard her speak which is an important part of being a writer definitely and I think something that you said about like making time to do the thing that makes us happy. I think that even sometimes makes it hard to structure creativity because it is this thing that makes us happy because it's this thing that we want to do. And I think it's hard to make time for and create structure for the things that make us happy and the things that we consider Mm. fun. I think partly it like seems like opposites to us. Like there's on one hand, structure and like rules and plans and routines. And then on the other hand is like spontaneous fun and doing whatever we feel like, which is like 
fine. There are a lot of differences between those two ideas. But if you're somebody who wants to consistently make creative work slash create something tangible to share with the world at some point, you do have to be consistent about it. Definitely. That's why it's important. Yeah, no, I think that's a good acknowledgement that there's some sort of like paradox, it seems like to us in structuring time for the things that we just simply enjoy. Um, And I think in the past, there wasn't as much need to do that because there was kind of an assumption that like you had your work and then you had your leisure and there was like Mm -hmm. a separation to that and like a requirement that you had both. And I think now so much of what we do is like defined by work and like working overtime and like meeting deadlines and blah, 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 that it's really easy to um, only do only make time for what we feel like we need to do and not make time for what we want to do. I know that Mm -hmm. as a student that is like super prescient for me. Um, but that when I actually make time for the things I want to do, that I'm actually a better student and I'm just a better human in general. And I, I think that's one of those things that I'm just like trying again, we've made an episode of this, like trying to follow my own advice on that one, like knowing that it's better for me if I do that, but like still not making the time to do it. Cause I'm like, but I need to like do my work <laughs> or whatever. Um, and so I think this goes along with the conversation of self care and that like, it's not selfish to make time for that. And I think making time for your creativity for a lot of people is a form of self care. And that if you need to structure it in to make it happen, then like, that's what you need to do. Yeah. I think you brought up a lot of good points. Definitely the, like how work and leisure aren't so clearly separated a lot of the times now. And I don't know, it's still a fuzzy boundary if you are trying to create something to share with the world. And if you want to have a creative career, then it is work also. But I don't know where I'm going exactly with this. But I think like, then if you consider it work and you, it's very structured, then it can be hard to feel like you want to be creative. I think there's, Mm, for me, as a creative artistic person, I definitely have some resistance to structure because I, I think I feel at some level like that's going to hinder my creativity. And like, I want it, I want to leave it up to inspiration and intuition. But there is a certain amount of like, you need to just be doing the work to allow those moments of inspiration to come through. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's really helpful that you bring that up. I think that's super valid. Um, I think from the, I think going off of that point, like in light of that structure is going to look different for everyone in regards to their creative practice. So like for some people structure looks like slotting a time period in your daily schedule every single day and sitting down and doing the work, you know, mm-hmm. and for other people, it might be like, well, I'm going to make sure I do this every day, but it might not look the same every day, you know, right. like I might um, work on my drawing, which is like my primary thing today, because that's what I feel like doing. But tomorrow, I don't really feel like doing that. So I'm going to like, do some research on 
drawing technique, so I'm going to do something completely different creatively, but that Mm -hmm. sort of creative activity is still going to keep, like, my creative muscles working, you know? And so maybe, like, making room for inspiration in ways that work for you, but still implementing some kind of structure so you're making sure that creativity is a regular part of your life. Yeah, and something... So the reason that we're talking about this now partly is because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and like really trying to implement into my life. So I feel like I actually have some ideas that are helpful to share at this point in my life. But one of the things that I've kind of discovered during this process of trying to implement more structure in my creativity is that I need to do it in such a way that makes me not feel constrained because I am a creative person who dislikes restrictions and too many boundaries. So I'll I'll talk about that more when we get into like how exactly to do this and I'll share what I've been doing, but figuring out ways that create some structure so that I actually do the things that I want to do but don't feel limiting. Right. And I think something that's important to acknowledge is that Again, we just talked about this, but it's going to look different for everyone. Like some Mm -hmm. people, you don't have to be like a spontaneous, fluid person to be a creative person either. Like a lot of creative people are going to be like that, I think, from the standpoint that you're coming from and the fact that like, Mm -hmm. I feel like too much structure is going to stifle me. And other people, like if you need structured routine in like a super micromanaged way to be creative, but that helps you be creative. That doesn't mean you're like not a creative person. Exactly. You know, like I think, I don't know. I think there's so many like stereotypes and cliches around like what a creative person or a creative community looks like or what certain types of creative people do in general. And the more I like come up against that idea, the more I just like push back against it because I find it really like dehumanizing Mm -hmm. and I I don't know I I find it frustrating I find it difficult then to like place myself into any sort of creative community if I'm like well but they're probably like that and you know what I mean and this is kind of a tangent but I think part of the idea why this topic of structure is so difficult is because it's like kind of touchy for a lot of different people because yeah it's like oh well i need my structure and other people are like well you're not like a true creative if you can't just like work whenever or you know what i or like just like summon inspiration from right. on high you know so i think it's interesting that we're talking about this and i think the fact that you bring up that it's important for you to have a balance between structure and this like fluidity is also really important because i think that's super true for a lot of people as well yeah and like you said it's going to look different for everybody so your balance of structure to creativity might look very different from what i need which is also perfectly valid. And related to that, I think it's important or useful to question your own assumptions about yourself and what you need. Mm. Because maybe you think you're a person who's like really creative and flowy and doesn't like structure, but maybe you actually are able to be more creative when you have more structure. That's kind of what I found about myself is I don't think of myself as like a super structured person, but I've discovered over time that I really do thrive and can do more interesting creative things when I have some structure 
And likewise, if you feel like you really need structure, like maybe try loosening up a little bit and see if that helps with your creativity at all. Right. Yeah, because I think I've had some sort of like misguided notion for a long time that like I am an innately creative person and therefore like inspiration will strike me and like that's how I'm going to be creative is I'm just going to like do it when it happens and like the world is on my side. And I think to a certain extent like that can be true, but I also Mm -hmm. think there's a side of me that like if I don't actually do the work and I just like wait for inspiration to come to me, that's like a really unproductive way for me to go about creating. Oh, definitely. And for some people, that's what works for them. And for me, it's just like, if I don't actually do it, I feel like my creativity just like dries up, you know? And then it's even harder for me to start. And so I think sometimes I've thought, well, like the fact that I can't just like be creative right now means that I'm not a creative person. And it's like, no, I think you've just been out of practice and like not taking care of your creativity muscle. And that's just going to look different for people. And for me, I mean, I think this just like conversation is already making me realize that like maybe structure is what's important to my creative practice. And that's not like counterintuitive to creativity. Yeah. I think that's just a separate facet of your personality. Right. One might be, I don't want to say, are you creative? Because I believe that everyone's creative. But like, how does your creativity play out? Yeah. Is one aspect of your personality. And then another aspect is how much structure do you need to thrive as a human? And what kinds of structure? And those are different. And I think you can have any combination of those two things. Totally. Which is why it's important to know yourself. And we've talked a little bit about this on some other episodes sort of some tools for getting to know yourself and I always think that whatever works for you in terms of self-reflection and getting to know yourself is helpful in these sorts of areas totally yeah so there's my like philosophical musings on this (laughs) but I would be very happy to hear your like I know you've been thinking about this a lot like what actual insights have you gotten in terms of how to implement structure into your creative process? That's an excellent question. I definitely have been taking some actual steps towards this. So I am excited to share some of them. I'm also excited to hear what you have to share because you might have different ideas than what I've been doing or things to add. Um, But so when I think about structuring creativity, I kind of think about two areas. One is structuring your space and one is structuring your time. And I've been thinking about both aspects of this. So to start with space, how do we structure our spaces in order to foster creativity? We did actually do an episode like a while back about creative and productive spaces. I don't even really remember what we said because it was so long ago. But if you're interested, you could go back and listen to it and see what we thought a couple of years ago. Um, and I think, I think our spaces are really important, the spaces that we choose to create in. And I think for myself as a creative person, I really want to be inspired by my space to create there. I feel like I'm pretty affected by my environment and the things around me can make me feel a certain way. So I think One, it's just important to kind of set up your space in a way that makes you feel like you want to be creative and that if that means having 
lots of bright colors around you or having fresh plants or flowers or things that make you smile when you look at them, then put those things in if that's better for you than like a clean, barren desktop. But if a really empty desktop makes you feel like you want to fill it with all your ideas, then do that. I think it, again, it kind of depends what you like, what works for you. Yeah, this is a, this is a fun topic to consider. I was, there was a paper, excuse me, there was an article in the paper this morning about, uh, like, clutter and creativity. Mm. And I feel like this is, there's been so many, like, studies done on if clutter affects creativity. And a lot of studies, I feel like, have said, if you declutter your space, it helps you, like, feel more open in your brain and have more room for, like, clear thinking and clarity and creative thinking and things like that. But there was an article this morning saying, like, studies have shown that a little bit of clutter or, like, artsy clutter, like, tasteful clutter (laughs) can make you more creative. And How do you measure that? What? How do you measure that? They they did studies where um, they, like, had two different groups of people and they put one group in like a room without clutter and one with, and then they gave them like ping pong balls and were like, do something artsy with these ping pong balls. And the group with clutter, like did more creative things. Huh? Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, and the thing about that is clearly there's no consensus because studies have been done to the avail of, like, both outcomes. Right. So I think what you can take away from that is, like, put the stuff in your space that's, like, going to help you out and do some experiments with that. Um, But I think what it does say is that space does influence how we work. Yeah. You know, like, bottom line. And so I I think that's really interesting that you're bringing that up. And you've also done some stuff with feng shui recently. I don't know if you want to talk about yeah. that. Yeah, I can talk about my feng shui experience. So I guess this is a little bit related to the clutter idea too, because I agree with you. It can go both ways. Like clearing clutter can be helpful in terms of creativity, plus a little bit of clutter can also get the creative juices flowing. And I think something that I've noticed that works for me is I definitely don't like empty, bare spaces. That feels a little too cold and not inspiring to me. But I need to have a clean enough surface to work on that because otherwise there's like nowhere to do work. So I think there's also a, a balance that you have to figure out for yourself. And that's something that I have experimented with in my feng shui Mm. experimentation I was trying to think of another word but I didn't come up with one but that's okay so I've been working on my the feng shui of my office zone I don't have a separate home office it's just a side of my bedroom basically where I have my desk and my art supplies and my office stuff and my business stuff and I do think that it's been really helpful, the feng shui things that I've applied. I think, for one, it's just helpful to create a space with intention, which is basically what I've been doing, creating this desk office space with the intention of doing work there and doing creative work there. 
And that intention informs the choices that I make in the space. And then in terms of sort of the clutter versus no clutter question, there's this idea in feng shui, at least the, so I work for a feng shui business and the teachers that I work for use the, they're trained in the BTB black sect feng shui school. And they use this thing called a bagua map, which you lay over. It's like a, it looks like a tic-tac-toe board, basically, with nine different areas. And you lay it over a space. So that can be a desktop, that can be a room, that can be a home. So based on that, based on what kind of area of that tic-tac-toe map falls on which part of the room or the desk or whatever, there are certain ideas about what is most beneficial to place there and what is most beneficial to remove from there. So, so that has inspired me to put certain things in certain places in my workspace, like especially on my desktop, I kind of feng shui my desktop and I considered where would be like the best place for this plant that I have on my desk. So I have, for example, I have a plant what area is this? In the new beginnings area. So it's like encouraging new growth and new beginnings because it's this green plant that's growing. I have my podcast mic. I usually keep that in the area that's associated with recognition and fame. And I feel like that that feels relevant to me. There's no like feng shui rule about where you should put your podcast mic. <laughs> but that feels relevant to me because that's like I'm getting my voice out in the world. And that's sort of what that area is about. So anyway, there's little things like that about where, where I've placed things that feel meaningful. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that idea. And I think your recognition that like, what's important is the intention behind it is what is going to make a space like most conducive to your needs. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's not so much like what you put in your space, but maybe it's about how you interact with your space or maybe you need to like change up your space every couple of months or whatever. But I, I think, yeah, this is super interesting in, in terms of being intentional about it and how maybe if you're not someone who likes to structure time around creativity, like structuring your space around it is one way to like encourage regular practice. Yeah. I think for me, both have been important, right. both space and time. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. And depending on your life circumstances, like maybe you don't really have much control over your space, so you want to focus on time or vice versa. But that's definitely been helpful for me. The other thing about sort of clearing up and feng shuiing my office space is just having designated places for everything and I use the bagua to sort of intentionally choose where I want each thing to live but having a home for everything means that like at the end of the work day I put my computer in a certain place and then my desk is clean when I go to it the next day and that having a clean desk is like that's been so helpful for me yeah definitely a clean surface in the middle with like fun little things in the corners that inspire me or that yeah. are useful the other aspect of this is not just what inspires you, but what supplies do you need to have on hand for your projects? Totally. Which I think is really important. 
Definitely. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on spaces, Anna? Is there anything that you've done in your space to encourage creativity? Um, that's a good question. I feel like something that's difficult for me about this is that my space changes pretty frequently right now because Mm -hmm. I'll be at college, then I'll be at home. Um, and obviously I can try to maximize my space for various things, but like my desk at college is not just for creating, it's primarily for studying. And so maybe that's not the space where I want to be creating and things like that. So it's been a little harder for me to try to implement that. Um, I think one thing that's helped me is the idea. I think oftentimes I'm like, well, what does work in a space for me? I don't know if I've necessarily figured that out yet, but I think something that helps is the idea of just like trusting yourself. And sometimes they'll just like put stuff up in my space that I like to look at or whatever. And who knows what kind of effect it's going to have on me, but like, that's what I chose to put up in there. And so Mm -hmm. I guess like trusting what kind of decor and things feel right to you. You know, if you're not sure what is going to be most conducive to stimulating your creative juices or whatever, I think we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves on like what is right. And I think the bigger Mm -hmm. question is just like what stimulates your senses and what, um, gives you space and supplies for you to create, you know, and things like that. Um, Because I think that's when I feel most at home in a space is when I'm just making sure, like, I have some bright colors. I have some pictures of people that matter to me. I have clean space. You know, I think those are kind of like my main requirements um, Mm -hmm. within a space in which I might not have a lot of flexibility to make my own. Yeah. That's a tricky situation. I remember that about college, too, because especially if you're sharing a room with somebody, right. like not even sharing a home, you're sharing a room. Plus, you it's not usually a very big room. And like you said, your focus is not really on your creative projects unless you're maybe in art school or studying creative writing mm-hmm. or something, which that's cool. But for both of us, that's not really what we yeah. were slash are doing. So it's challenging. But going back to also a little bit back to the feng shui idea is a lot of feng shui concepts are also just like kind of practical Mm -hmm. things that I've found helpful to implement in my space, like making sure there's enough room to move around, like making sure I have space behind my desk chair to like push it back all the way if I need to so I don't feel constrained. And I feel like that sort of has a subtle effect on how I feel when I'm at my desk. Like, whether there's something that feels like it's blocking me behind me. And, like, what am I looking at from my desk? And does that feel like it's blocking my progress? Or does it feel like it's helping my progress? Right. And those sorts of things. And then I mentioned this a little bit. But I just, I think it's worth mentioning again. Just having supplies and whatever you need available. Because this could be such a barrier to getting stuff done is like do you have to take out all of your art supplies or you have to get them from another room and like unwrap them and take them out of the box and how long does that take even if it doesn't take that long it can be a huge mental block right so if you can find like a shelf in your workspace where you can have stuff like sort of halfway ready to go so you don't have to do as much getting it out and getting it ready I think that's super helpful Yeah, I know. I mean, I've experienced that 
um, at college when I maybe want to practice my instrument, but my instrument is halfway across campus sitting in a locker and then I have to go down to a practice room and I'm like, eh, that's so much work. (laughs) Right. Even (laughs) though it's not. Right. Like in retrospect, it's not, but it feels like it. Yeah. And so, um, and I even had that experience at home when it's not even about like moving to a different space. It's just like getting the instrument out of the case and putting it together, you know? So I think that has a bigger effect on us than we think it does. And making sure that your creative tools are readily accessible to you is right. One less obstacle to you getting done what you want to get done. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been helpful for me to think about like how I can, how can I make them more accessible? Mm -hmm. So then in terms of time, another important aspect of structuring creativity, I, I've sort of been thinking about this in terms of long term time management and then short-term time management. So I think in both cases, long-term and short-term, what is really important and also really hard is to figure out what your priorities are. Because if you don't know what you really want to be focusing on in this moment, it's really hard to do anything and structure your time. It's like, what do you make time for if you have 10 billion projects that you want to work on and you don't know which one to focus on. So I think that's like kind of a whole other topic that maybe we could, I actually would like to do another episode on that at some point. Like how do you kind of figure out what your priorities are in terms of creative work? That's something I'm still really thinking about, Mm -hmm. but a couple ideas to kind of throw out there are to think about your values. We did an episode about values a while back. So think about what your values are and what projects align most with your values to get quiet and follow follow your intuition in whatever way your intuition comes through for you, whether that's writing or meditating or walking outside. And also think about what else is coming up in this next season of life for you. So do you are you going to have a lot of writing projects for work? Do you want to balance it out with a visual art project? maybe instead of focusing on the novel that you want to write or something like that. Um, And then also just something that's helpful for me is just keeping lists of ideas that I have that I'm not going to do right now because otherwise I get stressed that I'm not doing them. But if I write them down, at least I feel like it's out of my brain. I'll do it at some point, maybe. Right, making room for other things and but making sure that you still have like written those things down so you can come back to them if you need to. Right. Yeah. Because otherwise they just take up brain space. Right. So, yeah. So I think that's the first step in figuring out. Oh, no. I think that's the first step in managing your time is figuring your priorities. Yeah. Easier said than done. Totally. I would agree with everything you said. And the only thing I would add to that is not just. getting in touch with your values. And I think that's really important, but there's also sometimes the sense of like, I need to create something that is like super value and mission driven and like has to be Mm -hmm. good. And sometimes that can actually be kind of stifling. So I think another way to look at it is also just like, what are you most curious about at Mm -hmm. the moment? And I think curiosity is the kind of space 
that comes from like openness and enthusiasm rather than like pressure. And so that's another thing where if you're trying to figure out your priorities, it can be as simple as like, well, what is really interesting to me right now? You know, Mm -hmm. and maybe that'll kind of spiral itself into something that also aligns with your values and also something you really care about. Um, But I think coming from that like open space can be really conducive to like a creative flow. Oh, definitely. And that's one of the ideas Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that I really like is follow your curiosity and not your passion. Right. Because that's such a charged word. Right. Right. Agree with that. And I think like that could even be following your values because maybe one of your values is playfulness or curiosity or openness or exploration or something like that. And I don't think that necessarily picking a project based on your values has to be like, well, I value community, so I need to do something that's going to help my community. It could be, but it could also be like, what do I want to feel? Maybe I do want to feel that sense of playfulness. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like that you brought that up. Yeah, totally. And then once you have your priorities and you know kind of what you want to focus on, how do we structure those is the next question. So I think in terms of long-term time structuring, it's good to have, for me anyway, I think it's been helpful to have like a a bigger long-term plan sort of that you're working towards. So a couple ideas for this. One is to make a timeline of what you want to do and then work backwards from that. So say like in six months from now, you want to have a draft of your book done. So then go backwards and say like, well, then in three months, I should be halfway done. So then in one month, what does that mean I need to do? And then I think and when you're working on these like big long-term goals, it's helpful to have something that you'll look at regularly to remind you. So maybe that's a bulletin board or a chalkboard or whiteboard or something on the wall with your goals written on it in such a way that motivates you or inspires you. And this also brings me to the Bing Boss chalkboard method, which I've dabbled with. I can't say that I've really implemented it, but I think it's a really interesting method their way of doing it they have a couple episodes of their podcast I think about their chalkboard method and it's in their book also but it's basically putting up some of your goals onto a chalkboard that you look at every day because then it really gets into your brain and your consciousness so those are my long-term ideas yeah I think those are really helpful I think that there's something to be said for having a visual um Mm -hmm that encourages you regularly. Um, And yeah, having a timeline to schedule your long-term priorities is basically the way to do it. You know, if if you're committed to a long-term goal, yeah, that's what you kind of have to do. Yeah, which is, I mean, this going back to the idea of priorities, this can be really challenging Mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to commit myself to this thing for the next six months and maybe neglect some other things. And that's something that I'm still really working through. And I don't necessarily have good answers for that, but we'll 
we'll talk about that more in the future. <laughs> yeah, and I think something that's important with making sure that your timeline is going to actually work for you is not just saying, like, not just isolating it in mm-hmm. your life, but considering what else you're doing. Oh, definitely. You know, and not just being like, I'm going to work on my book for three hours a day, so this happens. Like, if you're working eight hours a day and you also want to exercise or whatever, or like be social, then you're not going to be able to work on your book for three hours a day. So, like, what is that going to actually look like for you? So maybe you need to make more than one timeline, and and that's okay, too. And maybe you know that you have one month that's going to be particularly busy Mm -hmm. with work, or maybe you're going on vacation or going to a lot of events or something. So maybe give yourself less work to do on your project during that month and plan accordingly, basically. Yes. We're all for making sure that you take care of yourself while you're doing creative things. Definitely. That's <laughs> the whole point of the podcast, yes. basically. One of the points. Yes. So, Any other thoughts on long-term? No, I was actually going to ask you what your, what your ideas on short-term time were. So I'm actually... Yeah, I've been thinking more about short-term recently, partly because I haven't 100% decided what my long-term goals are, which I'm probably doing things backwards, and this doesn't really make any sense. However, I feel like I have some ideas for Mm short-term time management that have been helpful for me. Because I think you do... If you're a person who thrives on a certain amount of structure, which I am, as I said at the beginning... I do think you have to decide how you're going to spend your days and your hours so that those things happen if you have certain things you want to get done. So I think the first step would be to take your bigger projects from your long-term list and kind of break them down into smaller steps and figure out what you need to do first. So like what, if you're going to write a book, what needs to happen this week? What needs to happen tomorrow? And then we have to figure out how to make it happen. But if you don't know, like, what you need to do, then, like, structuring your time is not probably very helpful. Right. That's a good point. And I think also something that's maybe even the hardest part of this is just, like, doing the first day, like, taking the first step and committing to the first thing. And if you can do that, that sets you up well for continuing with the schedule that you make for yourself. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of making a schedule for yourself, that's something that I've really been doing that has been helpful. And for me, it's a bullet journal because I I just am a pen and paper paper person. Pen and paper person. <laughs> pen and paper person. <laughs> and I don't really like online calendars unless I need to coordinate with other people. So I have my week blocked out, my month blocked out, and then also my week blocked out in different pages in my bullet journal. And I'll actually schedule in when I'm going to work on different things. And I'm still kind of working out the kinks of this system, partly because it's been summer and I've been traveling and doing other things a lot. So I haven't been scheduling as much as I intended to. But so whenever... Whenever I heard people say this before, like, I think this is a really common piece of advice. Like, if you want to get something done, you need to actually put it in your calendar. You need to schedule it. And I had tried to do that before, and I always just ignored whatever I scheduled because I knew it was kind of arbitrary. So I was like, that doesn't work for me. But I, what has helped me more is 
actually like scheduling out blocks of time. I think before when I heard people say schedule it, I was more like, I sort of wrote it in list form. Like I'm going to do it on this day. But if I have, if I schedule out like my whole day, kind of like from nine to 11, I'm going to work on this and then I'm going to eat lunch and then from like 12 to three, I'll work on that. And then three to five, I'll do this or whatever. Having them actually blocked out in my bullet journal and seeing it visually for me, I'm a visual person. So I think like really having a visual representation of how I'm spending my time is part of why this has been working for me. The other thing that I do is I color code my bullet journal, which is might be a little overkill for some people, but What's helpful for me about that is then I can see, so like my work that I do for other people is in dark blue. My projects that I do for me are pink. So then I can very obviously see if I'm looking at the past several days and it's all dark blue. It like forces me to be really real with myself that I have spent zero time on my creative projects. It's just sort of a accountability tool with myself. And then the other reason that I think that this works is because having a very scheduled day some of the time, like maybe it's between nine to five or maybe it's on Saturday mornings or like whenever you want to work on your creative stuff or whenever you're scheduling your time. I think having that scheduled time allows me to be more relaxed during the times that I'm not working, mm. which is otherwise a challenge. Definitely. I think that's really important. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this too. I have a really hard, I make lists for myself all the time and then I don't end up doing the things on the lists. And Same. yeah. And I think <laughs> one thing, because I'm always like, well, that doesn't, I don't want to actually do that right now, even though I plan right, that out, right. you know? And like, there's some value in that and being like, well, that's not what I feel like is going to work for me right now. But there's also a sense mm-hmm. of just like you're procrastinating. So right. <laughs> I think something that can help you actually do what you told yourself to do is acknowledging the fact that if you do that, then you will actually feel better than worse. You know, mm, I think a lot of the yeah. times I'm like, I'm going to watch Netflix instead because like I had a long day at work and I need to decompress. And to an extent, I think that's really valuable. But if you mm-hmm. get in a rut of only doing that, like I know that I've been doing that a lot this summer and I think it's been important for me because I think I kind of needed like a self-care summer, but I'm also feeling mm-hmm. very like creative, creatively just like kind of zapped and I feel like something's missing. And it's going to be really hard for me to get back into that because I've been away from it for so long. But realizing that actually implementing a schedule, even though it's going to be hard, is actually going to make you feel better in the long run might be a good motivator. Yeah, I think that's that's good, too, to kind of remind yourself why you're making the schedule. Because mm-hmm. it's not just arbitrary. Right, right. I think that's because like I said, I think that's what was kind of stopping me before, but reminding myself of why I'm doing this and like the reasons behind it. This kind of goes back to, I know we've mentioned Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies before, kind of do you respond better to external motivation or internal motivation? And I am a questioner in her framework. So 
basically the idea is I need good reasons to do stuff. Mm -hmm. So that would actually be a good one for me to implement, probably, what you said about kind of reminding myself why I'm doing these things, even if I'm resisting them. Right. Like, maybe self-care looks like taking a bubble bath for you or doing Netflix, but maybe self-care in a long-term sense is like doing the things you need to get done. And I think it can be both, you know? I think so, too. Yeah. I think there's like a line between self-care and indulgence. Um, Yeah. And not that indulgence is bad all the time either. But I know that I have been indulging myself a little too long and now it's just like not really making me feel good anymore. You know, so now something needs to change. And I think that's where the structure starts to come in handy. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. And something, one other thing I want to note on this, like scheduling time for stuff idea is something that's really been helpful for me, too, is scheduling myself more time than I need to get stuff done. That I think this depends on your personality and how you work best. But I know for me... I need to take breaks and I get distracted by things while I'm working on things. So I can't just like sit down and do a thing for three hours in a row. If I schedule three hours of work on something, I know it's probably going to be more like two because I'm going to get distracted by something. I'm going to get up and stretch. I'm going to go eat a snack. I'm going to like, who knows what I might do during that time. But if I give myself that padding and I know that that's, what's going to happen and I know I have two hours of worth of work that I want to get done and I give myself three hours, then I'm not left feeling like, oh, I didn't finish what I wanted to finish. Right. So that's been helpful. And if you get things done ahead of time because you gave yourself extra time, then you have the time to like do random stuff and be spontaneous and whatever. Or get ahead on other things that like the next project that would have been on the list. Exactly. And also... In a similar vein, just giving myself like nice leisurely lunch breaks so I don't feel overly constrained. But then again, if I give myself two hours for lunch, it's probably not going to take me that long. Right. So I'm going to get an extra hour of something done in there. Right. But I don't feel stressed by my exactly. schedule. So it's a very loose. Yeah. Schedule. And I think just like, That's yourself, what works you know, like, eh, well, I give myself like three hours for lunch then maybe I'll actually do something. You, you know, like, if that's what you need to do to actually do it, then, like, more power to you. Right. Yeah, and I think it takes some experimentation to see what works for you. Because right. this is my method, but it might not work at all for somebody else, and that's valid. And I also think it's useful to consider your personality. And like we said, what motivates you, similar to Gretchen Rubin's framework, are you motivated by an accountability partner? Or do you respond right. well if you know you're going to get some sort of reward when you get something done? Are you going to like take yourself out for lunch when you finish this big project or whatever? Or like, are you really motivated by to-do lists and crossing things off? Do you feel really satisfied by that? So working that into your structure. Right. Like, do you need, an, do you need like a rewards right. system or whatever? Some people need that. Yeah. And again, you know, that goes depends. back to just knowing yourself and and being honest with yourself. If that is what you do need, then do it. 
action this week. We are asking our creative souls to choose one step towards structuring your creativity. Whether that be blocking out time for something or creating a whiteboard or a chalkboard or clearing out your space or whatever. Or maybe it's something completely different and you can share uh, share that with us and we want your tips as well. But let us know what you are doing. Um, you can get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Never Wear Boring Socks. We also have a Facebook group where you can start conversations with fellow listeners. And you can email us directly at NeverWearBoringSocks at gmail.com. Do you have a quote for us today, Anna? I do. This quote is from David Allen, who's an author on productivity. And he says, it's hard to be fully creative without structure and constraint. Try to paint without a canvas. Creativity and freedom are two sides of the same coin. I like the best of both worlds. Want freedom? Get organized. Want to get organized? Get creative. I like it. So I think this is like kind of similar yeah. to what we've been talking about, you know, and I think he's recognizing that even though it seems like a paradox to structure creativity, it's really not. Um, and it actually thrives under structure, whatever that structure may look like for mm -hmm. you. So I think it, it's just a good recognition. And I like how he incorporates freedom into there. Yeah. You know, I think we think freedom is like being wild and free <laughs> with no constraints or whatever. But sometimes we can feel really lost and like untethered instead of free. And I think there's a difference between those two. And so maybe you need to structure some time to actually feel like creatively free to do what you want to do. Yeah. And that also makes me think of, well, we didn't even talk about this today because it's a little bit sort of a little bit off topic, but related the idea of sort of having boundaries to push against in creative mm -hmm. work, which is why I think prompts can be helpful or giving yourself certain creative challenges can be helpful but I definitely right. like something that I think about is like you can't really think outside the box if there's no box to think outside of otherwise it's again right. you're just like untethered and like blah, 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 blah. yeah totally I'm assuming you all knew what that noise meant you <laughs> <laughs> can imagine my hand motions <laughs> thank you for listening to never wear boring socks this week if you're enjoying the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us and leave us a rating or review and subscribe to stay up to date on future episodes. You can find show notes for this episode at NeverWearBoringSocks.com. Many thanks to Ben Ramsey, the cheese beast, for his audio editing and help with their music, and to Martha Barnard for her mandolining. And until next time, never wear boring socks. <laughs>